this morning, uh, because of the other things we have going on, I want to have a, an abbreviated time as we look at God's Word this morning. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'll just ask you to, to stay in your seat. I want to read from Mark's Gospel this morning for us and look at this passage as we begin in chapter 12, in verse 35. Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 35. The Bible says, And Jesus taught in the temple, he said, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. And in his teaching, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour the widows' houses and for pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. You've heard me say countless times from this pulpit in the last nearly three years that we live in a culture that is centered around pride. In fact, we live in a culture where pride is celebrated. We see many people who celebrate their own pride who have great pride in themselves, and their pride blinds them to their own weaknesses. Pride leads to arrogance. Pride leads us to fall. Pride and arrogance are both at odds with what the Bible describes as a Christian. The British author C.S. Lewis said this of pride. He says, as long as you're proud... You cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on thing and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. When we consider the biblical storyline, we understand that it was pride that led to the fall. It was Adam and Eve's pride when they disobeyed God and ate from the tree that he had told them not to. It was human desire above the desires of God, that led to sin entering into the world. It led to Adam and Eve's rebellion against God. It led them to shun His commandments. And it led them to plunge all of creation into darkness. James's letter reminds us that God is opposed to the proud. Therefore, it's something that we must combat. Well, how do we combat pride. 
Well, we have to look at its opposite because the opposite of pride is humility. Humility is the mindset and the position of a person who is following after Christ. A Christian understands that he has no reason to be proud. It serves no purpose for a Christian to allow pride to rule his life. There's nothing within us that makes us good. There's nothing within us that makes us worthwhile. Over 300 years ago, a Moravian missionary, his name was Nicholas Ludwig von Zinzendorf, and you don't need the spelling for that for your notes. You can put Zinzin if you need to. He said this, he said, preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. Preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. I wonder if that is the idea that most of us have in our heads about the plan for our life. Have we embraced the humility that comes as a follower of Christ to the point where we can be satisfied in living for Christ, proclaiming his message, dying, and being remembered no more? See, we live in a time where we're told that we should be the best and the greatest. For many of us, it would be substandard living if we were to preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. I think we're past due as Christians for a better understanding of the way that we should live in light of what Christ has done for us. The passage before us this morning has three different incidents from Jesus' ministry, and they are distinct. We have this question he has with the scribes. We have his warning about the scribes. And then finally, we have his observation as he is looking at this widow who comes and gives an offering. He tells us in that third one about, about the generosity who comes to those, or rather what, that is a result of those who are humble. So in the few minutes we have left this morning, let's look at these three things briefly as we consider... That God has called each one of us not to be prideful and arrogant as we often are and as we naturally are. But he calls on us to humble ourselves in light of the good news of the cross of Christ. And to live differently than the world around us. To live differently than the culture around us. Because we are not prideful and arrogant. But rather we humble ourselves below others. As we begin to think about humility. We first understand in these first few verses. Verses 35 through 37. That humility is demonstrated... Humility is demonstrated by the Messiah. We have this odd exchange, and it's actually one that's quite difficult to interpret. This odd exchange between Jesus and the scribes. Or rather, at least Jesus and his audience, and he makes reference to the scribes. He asks, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? Verse 35. Well, now... 
the whole New Testament points us toward the fact that Jesus is the son of David. We see genealogies in both Matthew and Luke that point us back toward David being the the father, if you will, the grandfather, the great-great-great-great-grandfather of Jesus. And yet he asked this question. The problem was the scribes had it in their mind that, that that was the important part of Jesus' lineage. You know, He was going to come from David's lineage and that was going to be important and that was going to help as he reestablished his throne. But, but Jesus is making the point here in these verses that he is not only the son of David but something much greater than that. That ultimately, the Messiah, who Jesus was and is, was going to be not only descended from David, but that he was going to be the Son of God. He makes the reference here, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. David, in writing this psalm that Jesus is referencing here, lifts up the Messiah as someone greater than him. That's why he says, the Lord said to my Lord. In other words, God said to the Messiah. David, his own son, he refers to him as Lord. He lifts him up. He exalts the Messiah to a place of prominence. Well, you say, who cares? Why does that matter? It matters a lot when we're thinking about humility because here we begin to understand in this passage how Jesus viewed himself. He understood himself as being great. He understood himself as being exalted by God. He understood that he was from a place of importance. He knew it. He had spent eternity with the Heavenly Father. He had spent eternity with God in a perfect relationship He had been present as everything that was created was made. In fact, we're told that if it wasn't for Christ, everything that was made would not have been made. And so here is Christ, and He is great. He is powerful. He has this position of authority and power that has been given to Him by God. And yet, what position does Jesus take in this world? Does Jesus exalt himself to a high place? Does Jesus put himself in a position of prominence among the kings of the world? Does he demand that others bow down before him and worship him and give him honor and glory as he walks through his life? Not in the least. Even though in this passage we see that Jesus knows that he is a powerful person. Jesus knows that he is the son of God sent to the world to save the world. He does not exalt himself. But we will not see many verses ahead to where he humbles himself to the point of dying for us. Here he reminds those who are listening that the Messiah is something greater than an earthly king. That the Messiah is something greater than they have imagined before. But throughout his life, he reminds them that he is the humble servant. Not by his words declaring his humility, 
but by his actions in humbling himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus has every reason to boast in himself. There's a lot to boast about. If anyone ever had the right to puff themselves up and have pride in what they had done, it would be Jesus. He could walk anywhere in the world and say, hey, I made that. He could look at anyone in the world and say, hey, I made you. He can give life simply by speaking. He can give life simply by thinking it. Every adversary that comes against him, he could simply think about their death and they would be gone. He can walk on the water. He can heal the blind. He can give hearing to the deaf. Again, he can raise the dead. If anyone had anything to be prideful about, it would be Jesus. And yet he does not boast about himself. The creator of the universe is humble. So what do you have to be prideful about? If Jesus made you and everything else, and he was humble, what's on your resume that you believe would give you the right to be prideful? What have you accomplished that would give you the authority to exalt yourself above God. I can't think of anything. I know most of the people in this room not aware of anything you've accomplished that would give you the right to exalt yourself above Oh, we deal with pride every day. I think about the pride in my heart every day. It pushes itself up and continuously tries to get me to be prideful and boastful in something that I have done or accomplished. But there's nothing there. The same holds true for you. If this is the mindset of Christ, how could our mindset be any different? How can we exalt ourselves or lift ourselves up above the creator of the universe? He refused to do so. How can we do the opposite? It is easy for us to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. But we should be reminded at the same time that Jesus was willing to lay down his perfect life in our place. Our heart is mired by sin. And that is why it is easy for us to try to exalt ourselves when we have no reason to do so. Look at the world around us. Look at how the, there are so many that try to exalt themselves. As you know, I love watching football. I will do so today. I did so yesterday and hope to continue doing so for the rest of my life. Enjoy watching football. And there are athletes who play football who have amazing skills. Skills. 
They can do things that my mind cannot even imagine being able to do. And yet, catching a football with one hand is nothing compared to developing a cure for cancer. And so we find the person who cures cancer and surely our society will laud them and applaud them and give them great wealth and will will want to, to praise them for doing such a great thing and yet something Jesus could do with a word. No matter what we think we are or have done, no matter how great we believe our accomplishments to be, in light of what Christ is and has done, they are nothing. And we have no reason to exalt ourselves. But let's continue as we think about humility and we move on into verse 38. We come to this second incident in Jesus' life and he, with really no context here, or at least just in the context of in Jesus' teaching, we see that he says to be aware of the scribes. And he gives this long list of things that they do that we should be aware of. They like to walk around in long robes. I'm good on that one. Only on graduation Sunday. But they like greetings in the marketplaces. They like to have the best seats in the synagogues and places of honor at feast. They devour widows' houses and for pretense make long prayers. We're to beware of them. Why? Well, we are aware of them and we should be aware of them because there's a second reality about humility. Humility is revealed in our outward actions. Humility is revealed in our outward actions. He warns, Jesus does, about the scribes. They, they look to receive recognition for the things that they do. They wear these particular clothes so that other people can point them out and say, hey, look, he's, he's a scribe. He is a very religious person. He is a person of importance. They like to receive the greetings in the marketplace. Not just, hey, how are you doing? But, but hey, here's someone who is, is very important. Here's someone who is very religious. They like to have those prominent seats in the synagogue so that they can draw attention to themselves. And when they go to parties, they want to have the best seat at the table. They want to have a place of honor where people can recognize them for who they are. In fact, we read on that they are so low down in their arrogance that they use their position to take advantage of widows. It's unclear exactly what they were doing. To take advantage of the widows, there are many different options that are possible. Anything from robbing them to giving them bad counsel based again on their position and the weakness of a widow in this society. But regardless, Jesus says they take advantage of these widows. They plunder their houses or devour their homes. They use their position as a scribe for gain. They're not humble. They're very proud. And because of this, Jesus points out that they are going to be responsible for their sin. 
He says at the end of verse 40, they will receive the greater condemnation. Why? Because they are aware of the things of God, and yet they do these things that are prideful anyways. They're aware of God's command for their life, but they continue to live in their pride. They should be more concerned and more dedicated to God, but instead they are concerned with the praise of men. And he pronounces judgment on them for that. Does this not sound like many of the religious leaders of our day? They are much more concerned about the praises of men than their dedication to God. We've built this church culture oftentimes where that's what we want preachers to care about. That's what we want our religious leaders to care about. That's what we want the leaders in our churches to care about. Not about receiving um, commendation from God, but avoiding condemnation from men. Instead of receiving the praises of God for doing the things that He has called us to do, we entice people with the praises of men. The scribes had bought into this fully. And that's what they loved. And that's what they worshipped. It's odd to think that men who were so religious and knew so much about God could be so prideful. They'd become more concerned about the outward appearance and recognition of others that they missed what God had called them to do. They took advantage of other people instead of treating their neighbors as themselves. They saw it to be all about them. And I wonder this morning, if you struggle in this area, do you allow your desire for recognition to outweigh God's call to be humble? As most of you know, this past weekend I was the president of the North Carolina Pastors Conference. And it went really well. We just we had an awesome turnout. The music was fantastic. The preaching was probably the best I had ever heard at any of these conferences. And people were asking me as it got closer to the end if I was ready to be done, and I was beyond ready to be done. Because I got to a point where I realized that I wanted to be president of the North Carolina's Pastors Conference. Because of my pride. I had a plan laid out. I was going to be president of the pastor's conference this year. And it would be a good year then to run for second vice president of the convention. And then in two years, vice president of the convention. And then you become president of the convention. And it finally dawned on me why. Why did I want to do that? It wasn't because I'm the smartest or the best or had the brightest ideas or could provide the best leadership to the convention or any of that stuff that people say in their speeches when they're going to do such things. I was just proud. I just wanted to be recognized. I just like getting my picture in the paper. And it's not like that many people read the Baptist newspaper, but I do, and my buddies do, and there's my picture. 
And what, I'm glad God did a great work, and I, I've gotten, you know, notice from people that they were very encouraged, and, and just the, the, the pastor's conference meant a lot to them. But how sad to think that that's what it was built upon. Is my pride and need for recognition and affirmation and whatever. But that's what the world is telling us we need to do. And as Christians, we can get caught up in that very quickly. Unfortunately, that's what, that's what our denomination can lead us to do. That's what the big churches can lead us to do. We want to be like that. We want to do like that. We need this and we need that. We need more. And that is not what God has called a Christian to do. I wonder... If we strive, if you strive to be loved by others, do you treat others more lowly than yourself so that you can be lifted up? It's relatively simple to look at someone's outward actions and see if they are full of pride. If you're captured by the things of this world, if you live for the things of this world, It's very unlikely you're humble because God calls us to humble ourselves. And so Jesus gives at the end this third thing, the demonstration of that. The Messiah is humble. Humility is revealed in our outward actions. And then thirdly, the text reveals to us that humility is revealed in our generosity. Humility is revealed in our generosity. We come to this, I would say, the most well-known of the three sections of this text. We're familiar with the widow's offering. He sits down opposite of the treasure, and he's watching people put their money in. They would bring their offering to the front, and they would put it in the offering plate. And he calls his disciples together, and he says... You see the widow there, you know, the widow who put in basically a penny. This woman had basically nothing. She's putting in this little amount. This is what she had to live on. It's not even one day's wage. It's not even one day's work. And she's putting it there in the offering plate. And he says, guess who has given the most? Now remember, the rich people have come and they have just poured some money in. They didn't do it like you know, we do today. Where your giving is, is anonymous. If you write a check for $5,000 and put it in the offering plate. Okay. If you don't give, I don't know about it. The people sitting around you don't know about it. But this day, they're putting the offering, the offering is given publicly. And so some of these rich fellows, they put in large amounts of money. Because they, you know, they can afford it, it's not a big deal, they can drop it in. This lady comes and she puts in what in monetary value is nearly worth nothing. And yet Jesus commends her and says... She gave the most. Why did she give the most? Well, look, verse 44, for they all contributed out of their abundance. You know, they had plenty. So they just gave some, not a big deal. Didn't miss it. 
But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Now she can't eat. Now she has no way to pay her bills. Why? Because she has given everything she has over to God. This is not one of those TV preacher faith things where, you know, she puts in two pennies and she's expecting to find four when she walks out. Okay? That's garbage theology. If you believe that, we'll have a time where you can repent at the end of the service. This is not how it works. This lady gives up everything with no expectation in return. Other than the fact, I believe she trusts God's going to provide, but that doesn't mean, hey, I'm going to find that money when I get back home. Our humility is revealed in our generosity. If we hold everything to ourselves, we are taking pride in what we have and we are saying that we know better than God. There is no excuse for not returning what God has given you to Him. There is no excuse. And I know because I used to make that excuse. Before I was a senior pastor, I was not giving faithfully to the church that I was serving. And they called me on it. And they were wrong in the way they called me on it, and they were wrong on the way they went about it, and we can forget all that, but the problem was with me. And I believed that because I was trying to start a family and because I had just bought a house and because we didn't make a whole lot of money that I, I could hold on to all of that and because I needed it to take care of my stuff. And I didn't need to give any to God because I worked for the church and that didn't make any sense. I'm putting the money in and it's just coming right back in my check. Why, why even worry about it? It all balances out. But it didn't. And it doesn't. And I can promise you from that point on, and that has been almost eight years ago, I have not missed giving weekly to the church that I have served. You can go ask the counters or I can show you my bank statement, whatever. I do not miss a week. Why? Because all of it belongs to Him. And yes, it goes in the offering plate or in the, the drop box over here and, and it ends up going part of it back in my check. That's not the point. It's not like my check goes up when my giving goes up. It's not the way it works. God has called us to be faithful in our giving. And it is a heart issue when we do not give to him faithfully. You've noticed, I've not said a percentage. You can deal with the percentages with God. If you think 1% is good enough, you stand on judgment day, you answer for your 1% and take that and fine. If you think you ought to be given 15%, you better not give 10. But there is no excuse for us not to give faithfully. 
Listen, I've been here almost three years. This first message on anything close to money you've heard. I didn't pick it out. This is what came this morning. It was the next thing on the list. But it is serious. Because our pride is what keeps us from giving. It's not our poverty. We can't say, well, God, if I, if I made more than minimum wage, I would be able to give. This woman has two small copper coins. One copper coin is approximately one sixty-fourth of a denarii. A denarii was a day's wage. So she gave two. That's one thirty-second of what a normal person made in one day is all she had. Was she poor? By any definition, poor. But she was more committed to being faithful. Why? Because she was humble. She did not take pride. God, you need to pay me more. God, you need to give me a better job. God, you need to get me out of this or that or the other. And then I'll be willing to give. Friends, that excuse never worked. Because I want to promise you, when my heart condition, I was making the excuses. But Rachel and I had no kids. And we made the most money at that point especially with no kids, than we'll probably ever make in the rest of our life. But I use it as an excuse. And God convicted me of that. The last church I pastored would never have said anything to me if my giving had been low or non-existent. But that didn't matter. I could have squeaked around it. I could have told them, hey, you, you guys just aren't paying me very much. We just aren't, we just aren't making it. Listen, there was a moment when there was no money left in my bank account. And God convicted me to give. I'm not claiming any type of perfection this morning because you can all make the list of my imperfections. But friends, on this issue, it is always pride that prevents us from giving faithfully to the Lord. And we must combat that pride. Because he is the one who has set his, or our example. He is the one who did not exalt himself. And so we reveal our humility and our generosity. Jim Elliott, the missionary who lost his life in service for Christ. He said this. He said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep. Elliot's talking about his life. Elliot's talking about his dedication to the gospel. I would tell you that it goes to every aspect of our Christian life. It is no fool to give what you cannot keep to gain what you cannot lose. We must have a mindset that the things that we have belong to God. From our money to our lives, they must be committed to his service. So this is the challenge we have. Pride is, it's real. It consumes our life. But it has no place for the one who follows Christ. Pride attempts to subtract from God's glory. It brings about condemnation because it has no place in the life of the Christian. It's at the root of our sin. And pride points others toward our goodness, which is fake, instead of pointing others toward God's goodness 
in giving us Christ. We, as Christians, must humble ourselves. We must deflect fame. And we must pour out generosity on other people. God has blessed us so richly. Think about some of the things that we have accomplished at this church in three years. Some of the things that cost large amounts of financial resources, and yet we did it. Why? Because God has blessed us. God has blessed this church tremendously. But we must continually humble ourselves and give God the glory for what he has done. Give him the glory for accomplishing great things in our midst. Give him the glory for the blessings he has poured out on the families of this church. On the people of this church. It should reflect in this community how much God has blessed us greatly. I wonder this morning, have you allowed pride to consume your life? If you turn on the television, if you pick up a newspaper, if you surf the internet, you're going to see that as your example. But God has called us to humble ourselves with our lives, humble ourselves with our finances, humble ourselves in service to others. Pride is crouching at the door in our heart. It's looking to devour us and destroy our lives. But we are called to daily submit ourselves afresh and anew to Christ. And knowing that if we humble ourselves with him, it will exalt him to all of those who see us. If we humble ourselves with Christ, he will exalt us to the highest places. He exalts us and gives us something we cannot lose when we lay down those things that are going to be gone anyways. Will you bow your heads with me as we pray this morning? Heavenly Father, God, we are desperate in our need for you. God, we are desperate. We are desperate because pride reigns supreme in our life. We are desperate because our hearts are geared toward lifting ourselves up. Our hearts, God, our hearts desire that we would be recognized and praised. God, but you desire that we would humble ourselves. We would submit ourselves to you. And God, we would be led by your Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you call us unto yourself. You call us, God, to turn from our sin and to humbly submit ourselves to you. God, I pray for all of us dealing with pride. 
God, help us. God, help us. Help us to exalt you. Help us to, God, faithfully follow you. God, help us to faithfully trust you. God, be all that we need. God, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for the great grace you've shown us in Christ. God, we ask that you speak to our hearts as we sing. God, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I invite you to stand with me. Friends, we all struggle with pride. To say that we don't is a fairly prideful statement. But God has called us to humble ourselves. And it is not a one-time commitment, but it is a work that the Holy Spirit does in us as we continually submit ourselves to Christ. I would invite you this morning to call out to God and ask Him, as painful as it might be, to continually humble you so that you, in the last day, in that great day where God calls us to Himself, in that day we are exalted in a way that can never be taken away from us, and in a way that has nothing to do with the things of this world. Let us humble ourselves in our treatment of others, and humble ourselves in our giving, humble ourselves in the way that we commit our time. God has called us to do that, and set for us Christ as a great example. If that's a struggle in your life, call out to Him this morning. God, hear me. And God, humble me so that I can serve you. Would you respond as we sing this morning?